Funding for the Capital Weekly Podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast special episode, uh, the Cabotox Podcast that we're putting together. We're talking to Brian Cabotech and John Cabotech. And we went on the first broad- broadcast, we sort of highlighted their differences, uh, went through sort of a feature approach, I guess. This time we want to get into more policy stuff, and there's nothing better to do that uh, for these two, I think, than AB5, a new law in California, signed last September, but went into effect January 1st, and it makes it harder for employees, uh, for employers to classify workers as independent contractors. That's kind of the shorthand for that, but it's caused all kinds of uh, discussion up here and lawsuits, including a decision yesterday, uh, Superior Court decision yesterday, that it violates federal law. It tries to preempt federal law. It's improper to do that, and the truckers who file that suit won in court. I guess that's where we are now. So I guess, uh, Brian, you're on the uh, Democratic side and on the consumer attorney side. What's your, what's your take on AB5 now to the extent we've had these court fights? Right. Well, I'm intimately familiar with it because I brought cases on behalf of truckers before. I think the Superior Court judge's ruling is just plain wrong. He says that it's preempted by federal law. I don't believe it is. There's already a Ninth Circuit decision earlier in the week um, upholding the fact that drivers that are misclassified as independent contractors can sue because of the misclassification issues. So the Superior Court judge, uh, incredibly brilliant guy, but wrong. And um, when they're wrong, we want to let them know that they're wrong. That's my job. But um, in all seriousness, this is, I think this is a very critical issue. I've identified this issue as a lawyer and when I was president of the Consumer Attorneys uh, as one of the most critical issues I think facing California today, which is misclassification of people as independent contractors. In my opinion, um, 99% of the time, the uh, industry benefits by calling somebody an independent contractor, not the actual individual because of the loss of a safety net. So we see a long fight ahead of us, but let's be clear, this stems from a California Supreme Court decision uh, not too long ago, within the last couple of years, in a case called Dynamex. And Dynamex uh, established a test for determining whether or not somebody is really an independent contractor or not. And so many people today classified as independent contractors are not. They're employees. And so I think that's where the genesis of the dispute between my little brother and I falls, which is, who who is this good for and why are we doing this? And what does the little brother have to say about this? <laughs> Well, you know, I will say that we, uh, you know, fr- frankly, big brother, I, I think we probably both sometimes have problem with judges. You with the most recent decision, which we are heartened by. And, you know, us from the small business perspective with, with the Supreme Court decision uh, on Dynamex uh, that was codified through AB5. I think at the end of the day, it's important to remind listeners, one of, our, one of my clients, the uh, NFIB, the small business organization representing small businesses and, and entrepreneurs, um, if there's one common thing that we are hearing from them and so many others out there right now, you know, it's that they're, they're really uncertain about their survival in California. Um, California already, you know, we already heap new taxes and regulations on Main Street. 
uh, that paved the way for small businesses to feel vulnerable and um, and hurt and and raise up costs and and force them to lay people off. And and sadly, unfortunately, we we hear from people AB five is just a mess. It's the latest policy that makes bad matters worse. It drives the, a dagger through the heart of entrepreneurism. And frankly, um, one of the things that's important for Big Brother, Brian, to remember is a lot of these individuals really like the fact that they can be uh, independent contractors. So it's it's creating a lot more red tape for small businesses, but it's also, frankly, um, driving up costs for consumers. So, you know, we, we it's making California more uncompetitive, uh, if that's even possible. We just hear people saying goodbye Yellow Brick Road and goodbye California Dream. So this this is a problem for a lot of people right now. Well, the real problem, John, is when you consistently talk about entrepreneurs and business and the business interests in the state, are the businesses going to get rich on the back of the working class and on the back of the middle class? And these kinds of issues continue to push and eliminate the middle class in California. Look, there's something like a family of four. I don't know if it's the mean or the median income in California, meaning half of the people are above this number, half or below, and it's about $65,000 a year. So sure, business would love the opportunity to classify somebody as an independent contractor because it means that they don't have to pay their share of employer taxes. It means that they don't have to pay benefits. And it really becomes a, a critical issue of being fair to the employee. And, and who are we trying to protect here? Are we trying to protect business? Sometimes. But we also have to remember to try to protect the employees because if given the opportunity, everyone classified as an independent contractor only ultimately benefits business at the end of the day. So now, one of the things here is, is that AB5, while it impacts a huge group of, of California employees and independent contractors and businesses, I think it's pretty obvious it was targeted largely at the gig companies. So Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, I'm sure there are larger ones I'm forgetting. And they have proposed a ballot proposition, or I don't know if they've officially proposed it, but they're funding a ballot proposition to repeal AB5. And I'm wondering how, so John, you are with the National Federation of Independent Businesses more on the small business side. Obviously I think this was targeted at the larger businesses. Um, do you see any daylight between the small businesses and the large businesses on this or no? Well, yeah, I, I think again, this comes back to the fact that it, you, you've got, you're kind of throwing the, the baby out with the bathwater. We got, you know, if the concern was about the gig economy, then this, th then there should have been a discussion focused on the gig economy rather than sweeping up everyone else, small businesses uh, of every stripe uh, on Main Street. You know, um, and and to the point, you know, Brian and I have had these conversations uh, certainly over the holidays as well. You know, there are some bad Apple uh, actor employers out there, no question about that, and we don't stand by those who, who are poor performers. But a couple things to point out, you know, we already, there's really no need for this law. We have a division of labor standards and enforcement. We have state labor laws that are already strenuously enforcing these kinds of labor laws. Um, but the solution be to, should, if you've got a problem with some bad apples, the solution should be, let's proactively enforce the law. Let's not change the law to make it more draconian. This law has just gone way too far, whether it's a small, medium, or large business. Uh, but at the end of the day, to, to answer your question, Yes, small businesses are affected much more uh, disproportionately, and the policy in Sacramento is usually let's smack it to the big guys uh, and not realizing most job creators are the mom and pops out there. I saw an estimate of the financial oh. impact on businesses at 30%. This is just an average, an estimated amount of the impact of this law on business at 30%. Is that realistic? Does that make sense, Brian or John? 
I, I, this is Brian, I have no idea what the impact is or what that even means with respect to the impact. I know that when we talk about the gig economy, this is where I first saw it and I first commented on it um, publicly about this issue. And I said, this is a dangerous, slippery slope. And I think what John talks about with respect to small businesses, they're following suit with respect to what the gig economy has been doing with these independent contractors. Uh, let's make no mistake about this, that if you get up in the morning and you go to work and your work involves turning on an app and your work is dictated by that app and it tells you where to go, who to pick up, what to do, and uh, how much you get paid, and you're putting in 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week doing that, that's called a job. So you can put all the window dressing you want on it as possible, but that's a job and those people are employees. So I don't know what they mean by an impact of 30%, but this is a serious issue. We really have to worry about like the safety net for these people who are working in these jobs and they're being classified as independent contractors. Do you see any um, changes in the courts? Uh, I, I guess the Ninth Circuit, and you, you mentioned Ninth Circuit earlier. Uh, I understand the Ninth Circuit is under a process of change right now because of the Trump administration, because different kinds of, bud, of judges being appointed to the court. Uh, does that bode, how does that bode for the future of the of legal challenges against AB5? Or does it? Does it play into it? Sure. So, John, let me let me sort of jump in this first, if you don't mind. The courts, obviously, are going to have more than 50 percent um, uh, appointees under the um, Trump administration in the Ninth Circuit in the relatively near future. But what we've seen a lot of these uh, Ninth Circuit cases doing is they're kicking it back to the California Supreme Court. So under a procedural rule that exists, the Ninth Circuit, who believes that they're wrestling with an issue that's been unresolved by California and interpreting California law, can kick it to the to the California Supreme Court and then they make the decision. Um, here, the question is going to become whether or not uh, under the principles of federalism and under uh, sometimes what's called the comedy, C-O-M-I-T-Y, not C-O-M-E-D-Y, clause of the Constitution, if this is really left to the states to decide their own employment laws. So that kind of presents an interesting contradiction for those federalist judges out there who supposedly believe in state rights. Are they going to limit this and leave this to the state of California? The trucking issue is unique because the trucking issue involves um, the uh, federal law that pertains to truckers and interstate commerce, so that's a little different. But when we come right down to it for gig employees, for your typical type of misclassified employees, there's not going to be a federal question. So I think they're just going to have to uh, comply with and um, follow California law. But John, I don't know if you have a different view on that. Uh, no, I think I, I, I think that that's probably makes good sense. I right now I think we are. Um, you know, I, I just I guess I just keep coming back to the fact that um, you know there is. Um, this is going to be tied up in the courts uh, in various ways. I think we, we like we, we saw this week with regards to that case. Um, the, the hard part, I think, we're finding as these things start to get tied up in the courts with so many different industries and others who are frustrated with this is that's just adding a, an additional layer of frustration for job the job creators out there who already are trying to figure out who's covered with this and who's not. I, I think one of the things that, that we also are hearing from people is they're really confused about this patchwork legislation 
you know, if you had a really good lobbyist in Sacramento this last year uh, with a massive political war chest, make no mistake, you, you probably made out okay. There were about 37 industries that were exempted, doctors, lawyers, and um, other folks. But, but there were thousands of other industries and professionals that just aren't. So not only have you got a lot of uh, kind of a Swiss cheese legislation with kind of legislators playing, uh, pick, you know, picking winners and losers, but you're also now going to see in the courts – a number of different cases out there with folks who feel that you know they they are do their fair share or they're fighting this. That's just going to delay and frustrate and create more red tape uh, for already confused small business owners and entrepreneurs. But look, is Again, it fair? Is it fair, John? I get what you're saying, but is it ultimately fair if somebody's working forty hours a week for somebody else? That I grew up believing that was called a job, and that other person was called an employer, and so ultimately. Forget the window dressing for a second. Is it fair? You know, during the holidays, Brian and I still owe you some uh, carne asada tacos from the holiday. I was all talk and no show, but I did take the uh, I did take Uber a couple of times um, to go get them, and uh, and so uh, the drivers that we talked about in those cars basically said they like the fact that they have the individuality, the independence. I think uh, there's a perception that um, uh, employers are being unfair to those who want that flight freedom and flexibility. So. Uh, you know, I think, frankly, Brian, we've talked about this, too. There should be a discussion about some sort of tiering. If you want to talk about solutions, let's talk about solutions. Let's talk about some sort of a tiering or some sort of a level of hours worked that would qualify for them. But if you've got a single mom or a senior or somebody or a young adult who's out there looking to have a few hours doing driving a week uh, for this company or that, and they want to be able to pick up some money on, and also pursue their uh, their dreams we shouldn't we shouldn't be lumping everybody in to one law and that's what makes this so confusing and frustrating but but i am gonna i'm gonna get you those tacos you know hearing you say that i'm i'm by no means an expert on this law nor on on employer practices but if i was uber or lyft and there was something there was a cap say anyone that worked over 18 hours a week was an employee and anyone that worked eight under 18 hours a week was a uh, an independent contractor, I think what I would do would be cap everyone at 18 hours a week and make them all independent contractors so that I would never, ever, ever have to deal with paying the extra taxes. And I'm not sure that that's exactly, you know, I don't think anyone involved really would want that. Neither the drivers, uh, probably nor Uber or Lyft or the other gig companies. Again, I'm not an expert, but that would be my immediate take that I don't, I don't know that that would would really get to a solution that anybody would really want. Well, right, but I, I, I think that, you know, the marketplace might not allow that to occur. There just might not be enough people to be Uber drivers given the demand. Uh, there might not be enough people that would that would be available for that. There are people who want to work more hours, and the company's going to have to adapt to that. I don't know why this is so hard for some of the big companies other than the fact that they just want to keep more money. That's the bottom line. Uh, and I get what John says when he says the small business and, and the, the single mom and somebody wants the freedom to, to work so many hours. Um, but we really start falling ourselves into a slippery slope, which let's flip it around the argument, which is if um, certain people can be independent contractors, why can't everybody be independent contractors? Then why doesn't that just become a, a permanent problem? You have a problem with collecting taxes because a lot of these people may not pay their full amount of taxes. Um, because they'd have to pay both share of uh, Social Security taxes and other types of employee taxes. 
Um, and then you have the real serious problem, which is the safety net. And that's where, you know, I keep talking about John and John thinks that I'm trying to be paternalistic for people in the state. And maybe I am to some extent, but there is a safety net issue. A 30 year old never thinks they're gonna get sick or get injured or be disabled. And we all know the reality is that it happens. And then there's nothing there for them if they're classified as an independent contractor. Well, and they're also, as I understand, they're not covered under workers comp, is that correct? Right. There's no safety net. There's no health insurance. The people have to go out and buy their own health insurance. But I mean, even if you're hurt on the job, you're not covered under that. Right. That too. So I'm just going, I'm going right down the line that, you know, most companies provide insurance for their employees. They don't provide it for their independent contractors. Workers comp doesn't even exist if you're an independent contractor in most cases. You know, um, uh, following up a little bit on what John was saying, I, in this on the journalism side, not the business side that you were talking about, but I have never yet, when it comes to this issue of flexibility, the only people I've seen, the only the people who are independent contractors that I've run into were photographers, and all of them wanted to be permanent employees and full time employees. They did not want to be. They did not want the status of independent contracting, and I, I think part of that was you know purely logistical because they had to do. They would get basically a full check and then have to do their own deductions and figure out their tax load and all that other stuff. But I think there was more solidity and a sense of more of a sense of security of being a full-time employee, being a permanent employee as opposed to being an independent contractor. And I know that some people are arguing being an independent contractor gives them flexibility. I just haven't heard that argument on this side of the notebook. Maybe it exists elsewhere, but... uh, independent contractor versus employee. Employee seems to win every time among the people I've talked to. That's right. Well, I would say that, you know, we've got a lot of people right now in this on-demand economy that really enjoy the freelance nature of their work. Think about a number of folks we deal with here at NFIB who are just starting their business, getting a business going while they are employed full-time elsewhere or while they have other jobs going on. And they are trying to get a business going, a cookie business or a retail business of some sort. Uh, many of them like the but fact that... But you said employed. You said Many employee. Them, no, I key. said it, if though if somebody has a job but also wants to have a uh, an a uh, independent contractor position, it means basically if somebody if you're talking about single moms, seniors, young adults who like that flexibility and actually need that flexibility to get something going, if my employer is going to tell me I need to take meal and rest breaks even when they like to like to finish up and get home and pick up their kids from school, take their mom to the doctor, they're not going to get their chance to do that. So the fact that, you know, what I think we're forgetting about is there's a lot of people out there who actually enjoy the ability to be an independent contractor, to have who, that flexibility. Who a lot are of employees, these people, John? <laughs> who come, are these people? You keep talking about these people. Who are they? I'm going to take you on a walk. I'm going to take you, Brian. I'm going to... We're going to go for a nice stroll down uh, Colorado Boulevard in Pasadena or here in Sacramento, and I'll introduce you to some of them. <laughs> of course I will. These are people – I think there's an assumption that, a lot, that every, every Californian who is working out there and working part-time or doing independent contract work um, demands that they be a, a full-time employee. A lot of them don't want that, and frankly, a lot of them, frankly, if an employer is telling them that in this meal and rest period issue is also another problem, if an employer is telling me because now I'm an employee oh. that I must make meal and rest breaks – 
um, even when they, fin- they would like to finish up and get home and pick their kids up from school, that's another problem because a lot of them actually enjoy well, the meal, fact that they meal, do have their independence. A lot of them want their independence. Meal breaks, do meal well. breaks are waivable. Meal weight breaks are waivable. Rest breaks are wage theft when people don't get their rest breaks. That's that's their employer stealing their time from them. And I don't know, John, I've, I've only been an employer for, thir- for about 25 years. Um, I haven't had a lot of my employees say to me, uh, gee, I really don't want my rest break and I want you to have the money instead. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't buy that. I don't think. Apparently, you're looking for the wrong there. employees, Brian. Yeah. They're probably afraid of getting sued by this lawyer. Yeah. You know. I mean, <laughs> that was a little news humor. Go ahead. I'm not. Uh, I I think there's a lot of I, entrepreneurs with this law that are going to see major problems because they enjoy the fact they have enjoyed the fact that they can have the flexibility with one, two, or three jobs and not be forced to be full time in a business and be forced to pursue those requirements. Many of them are getting their businesses started. Say goodbye to that. Say goodbye to that with AB five. How how I I miss the logical jump in that. That's I just missed the logical jump. Sorry. Go ahead. There's a very big log- logical jump on that, Brian. You're, you're, pursu- you're, I think, assuming that every single employee out there, everybody out there is um, demanding to be a, full, a full-time employee. Every single, I should say, you're de- uh, assuming that every person out there who's working part-time as, and those who are independent contractors who are just working a few hours a week in a couple different jobs, that they now are demanding that they be picked up as employees full-time many of them that's going to sell them no i'm not i'm not saying they should be in full-time employees i'm saying be part-time but still be employees there there's there's got to be some ground rules out there john what you're talking about and i don't understand the logical the jump you're making between i can't start my new business and be an entrepreneur if i can't be an independent contractor i don't follow that logic you can I, look. I want to work five hours a week at the Ambrosia Coffee Shop, or five hours a day, and and you can be an employee and do that. And you're saying the only way it could happen is if they're an independent contractor. Absolutely, I think I don't understand. Now I don't understand your jump because I think that many people right out there right now, for them to work five hours at a coffee shop. Uh, and for the, the requirement for an employer to pick them up with benefits, workers' comp, unemployment insurance. And then let's just point out the fact that that is all going to be new costs to consumers because those employers who are just you've – got, you've got a lot of folks out there, frankly, who are going to – who really enjoy this part-time work, who don't want to be employees – and frankly, the employers are frankly going to pass those costs on. If they're, ha- if they're now being required to pay health care, unemployment insurance, workers' comp, to somebody working two or three or four hours in a workplace, um, that's going to be higher costs for consumers, layoffs, downsizing, or frankly, I'm telling you, closing their doors. That's just one more thing that's just messy law that didn't take into consideration the small businesses and the people who want to pursue these types of things. But for a moment, like a clarification, you were talking about the ground rules the other a minute ago. And there are ground rules. Ground rules were laid out in the Dynamex decision. And AB5 is clarifying those ground rules that already existed in most cases. And and really, AB5 was providing a lot of carve-outs and exemptions. So the ground rules were there in Dynamex. AB5 is, at least as I understand it, trying to make it easier to work with and clarifying. Am I I correct there? Is that not correct? No, that's right. And and Dynamex really was interpreting existing California law. And California law before Dynamex 
um, although more narrow, still said people can't just be independent contractors. I mean, before Dynamex came out at my law firm, I couldn't have people here who were just independent contractors. Uh, so Dynamex was absolutely more restrictive for employers, there's no question. And then AB5 comes along and it sets up certain some certain exemptions, some some areas which are more restrictive, but sort of refined Dynamex. Was, was um, AB5 aimed at Uber and Lyft and DoorDash and Postmates? I mean, was this the was this why it was put into effect? And if it was, is it constitutional to craft a law that targets specific companies? Uh, so I don't know that. I don't know that to be exclusively the case, and I know that when um, AB5 was being debated, clearly those were target companies, uh, and the constitutionality of it's right now being challenged, but let's assume that it's found to be unconstitutional. Don't, doesn't that just default us right back to Dynamex? I actually believe the impetus behind this law, frankly, was to um, you know target a lot of businesses in California. And frankly, knowing the nature of the culture of our capital, frankly, there's a, a continued progressive effort to try and frankly unionize a lot of businesses in California, unionize employees and businesses, and frankly uh, target a lot of small businesses that are um, out there who are trying to be successful. So I feel there was a political nature behind this law, uh, and I clearly see, look, if the concern was that some workers are being misclassified, let's talk about a solution, but the solution shouldn't stomp out the entrepreneurial dream for those who actually want to be in business for themselves. And there are Californians out there who want to be in business for themselves and actually work as contractors with others out there. They don't be, believe they should be picked up as an employee. And they don't want to. What's the number, numbers on that? By the way, do you? I mean, there this has to have been polled. Are, are either of you aware of any polling about people who work as independent contractors and whether or not they would like to be uh, extended the rights of employees or whether they prefer to stay independent contractors? I, I mean, I'm sure there's got to be polling. I'm not aware of any polling, and I'm not aware of anecdotal evidence of people who are begging to be independent contractors. As someone who sued companies for misclassifying people, I've I've had very few. I've had some, but I've had very few people tell me over time, um, I'm really angry that you're turning me into an employee and that you're forcing my employer to reimburse my business expenses. I, I, that doesn't happen very often. What do you think happens now? Things. I know we have I the think. one court case, but that's not the only one. And the journalists are suing. The Pacific Legal Foundation, that longtime friend of <laughs> reporters, is uh, suing on this too on behalf of the reporters. And there's some, they have their own... That case is not has not been resolved yet, but uh, that's out there, and there are others as well. I think so. Where does this go from here? Is this going to be a court, an ever ending court case for, until we have a ballot measure? That, that yes, absolutely. And I think we're like I said, I think we're going to see a, just as we saw a patchwork of you know, frankly, a number of haves and have nots with the with the law. We're going to see a lot of folks in the in the courts. Um, again, this is going to create more confusion, greater confusion. Let's add to that uh, a number of other things people are still trying to figure out as a small business. The Consumer Privacy Act, which goes into effect this year. We've got people still trying to figure out Obamacare, even this many years later. Um, tens of thousands of words and pages for small businesses to try and muddle through. And if, by the way, if they don't exactly get this to a T, uh, they are going to be targeted with lawsuits. And so, it, again, Brian, I know 
Uh, we talk about this quite a bit, but it will create a cottage industry for a lot of folks out there, just like we saw with ADA, for industry, for, for attorneys, a number of folks to shake down small businesses because they didn't know the letter of the law, because they couldn't possibly read through as much of this stuff as they can uh, starting January 1. Uh, and, and it never changes change is, uh, that. Yeah, change is hard, right, John? Change is hard. Change is hard, yeah, especially, Brian, when we see U-Hauls leaving the state. Change is very hard when we got people who are trying to stay in California. Well, there's so many exemptions. There are veterinarians, <laughs> uh, veterinarians, doctors, lawyers, accountants. Uh, I, I just quickly count them eight or nine. There's always been an exemption. There's always been an exemption for people who have specific licenses. So that's a very different situation. If someone is a licensed person, they have a, you know, a degree and they're an accountant, they're a lawyer, they're a doctor, uh, that's, that's been an exemption. But I think what we're talking about now is that there are some rough edges, and I can see there's some rough edges where maybe the exemptions in some areas aren't exactly fair. I don't think the courts are gonna overturn it on that grounds, but like, um, and you, you all have been around the legislative process a lot longer than I have, but uh, cleanup bills are not unusual, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's just messy. You know, we, we look at doctors, surgeons, dentists who are actually uh, covered or exempted and got carve-outs. At the same time, we see that um, optometrists uh, did not. We see commercial fishermen getting carve-outs, but yoga instructors did not. Um, so again, it really came down to politics and capital. Uh, who you had friends with, who had a bigger bankroll, uh, and frankly, at the end of the day, uh, folks running to those who actually could help pad their campaign funds. Because at the end of the day, this is evidence right here as you look at this patchwork of who were the winners and losers were. We continue to fight for more, a broader business-to-business exemption for small businesses that crossed every industry. Uh, and that did not unfortunately happen. So now you've got uh, uh, legislature playing God with who can win and who can't out of AB5. And that's just tragic. That's bad when it comes to any kind of governing. Well, a political question then. If the ballot, excuse me, if the if there is a referendum on the November ballot, presidential election ballot, which traditionally has high turnout, uh, and it's approved, then is there another attempt? Will there be another attempt to do a law like this? If it's turned down, do we have that never-ending court fight going on, and on on the issues we already know about now? I'm not smart enough to predict what the electorate will do, but if this, um, but in a presidential election in California, I'm guessing the progressives are going to come out a lot more than um, the conservatives. Uh, but if the if a referendum or an initiative or a change in the law is a, is changed, if the law is actually changed, um, I, I think that um, I don't know what to predict would happen. I know that if it remains the same and the, the law gets turned down or or doesn't get changed. My prediction is that, yeah, there will still be some moves in the, in the legislature in California to fine-tune it to clean up some of these problems. Yeah, I know there's been, uh, I've seen on social media quite a bit of, of chatter among musicians who suddenly found out that they might be impact, impacted on this. You know, of course, being musicians, they had not paid any attention to it at all up until, you know, 10 minutes before it went into effect. And now they're trying to figure out how they all play into this. And I know John noted that there's a an exemption for fine arts. And I, you know, the question is, does the uh, bass player count as a fine artist? And that is, you know. Not the bass player. Yeah, the bass player and drummer probably don't count as fine artists, but, you know, we'll never know. But uh, I think there are a lot of industries waking up to this. And I know with the Dynamex decision, uh, that immediately impacted hair salons and barbers. 
and it was really interesting seeing people who normally in my life don't pay any attention to legislation or what's going on in the Capitol. Suddenly they were very engaged with That's this right. yeah. because uh, because their, you know, their whole situation at their hair salon had changed basically overnight because of Dynamex. So I think we're seeing a little bit of this with AB5 where people were discovering that they're going to have to do something different. And of course, people never like doing anything different. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see the way this plays out as people become aware of changes to their particular job or industry or friend's, friend's job. Well, and you pointed something out, uh, and that is, you know, I mean, you mentioned musicians. I think I, we, I read a, a column by a rather progressive uh, columnist here in, in Sacramento and California talking about this law as it comes out, uh, you know, and, and was talking about the Staples Center. It was talking about musicians because the work would now be performed, would have to be, would be classified as within the usual course of business, is now the Staples Center, and he was asking, now on the hook to qualify and classify um, every musician and every band that comes into that uh, facility as an employee, which would just be a mess. And again, that wasn't me. That's not me ask, raising that example. That was a, a, a rather progressive, uh, uh, you know, columnist here in the California media. So um, there's an example where it's just it's just a mess. Brian's right, though. There are rough edges. I think more of a discussion look, moving forward should be about you know maybe a better way to bracket this to tier this. I think Brian, I. I think a lot of business folks would be very open to that kind of a discussion. How do we break this down? How do we look at the number of hours worked? I think the one area you and I agree on is that we need to look at something that makes common sense and we need to protect people and we need not just to protect business. So uh, I hope that um, cooler heads can prevail and that we can come up with something that makes that makes perfectly good sense and good policy. But right now it, it's uh, it's a fight and it's a fierce fight. Well, on those kind I words of cooperation and, uh, and common sense. I feel like we've got kumbaya just, right now. Uh, we do, and we just solved the problems of the, well, at least of AB5. So, Brian Kabatek, John Kabatek, thank you both very much. Thank you. Tim Foster, thank you very much. Thank you. I'm John Howard, and, and we'll see you guys next time around. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.